It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each and every week, we look at some sports topics of local interest, maybe a national sports topic or two. We've got a, a gambling segment. And of course, you know, this, this is not the, the time of year there's a lot of betting going on. We seem to find a way to, to weave it into the conversation. And then some questions for me where you can ask me any question on any subject. And I'll give you an answer. It may not be the one you're looking for, but it will be an answer. It's hashtag on Twitter. Ask skinny anything. Uh, Rick, I am on vacation this week, but took some time out to do the podcast because I like to continue a, a consistent uh, streak that we've got going here. But I, I got to start with a this this past weekend, the 4th of July, the fireworks in my neighborhood. My word, I, I've never I've never heard it like that. I, I the the one night we went over to another couple's house over in Edgewood and we sat in their their kind of their driveway and watched from afar as they did the fireworks there by St. Elizabeth Hospital. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about oh, yeah. from your days in Edgewood. And those are nice. I mean, those are professionally done. They're 15, 20 minutes and it's it's very, very well, well done. It's 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 good. We go over for dinner, sit down, have a couple beers, watch the fireworks, pick it up, go home. When we came home, my my uh, my youngest of two dogs was was a flaming nervous wreck. She'd apparently run through. We had put up a barrier so she couldn't go down a hall. She somehow must have gotten stuck in the barrier because she, we found the barrier in the living room at, at, at one point. So she somehow got stuck in that, ran into the living room, took it out. So I thought, OK, so we were going to go to the pops the next night. We ended up not going because I said, I'm not going to subject the dog to another night of this by herself. So, dude, we put the, the, the good old thunder coat on, which some dogs have to wear. And I had we were puppy sitting for my daughter's seven month old puppy. He didn't care about the fireworks. He just cared about being with with my youngest dog. I brought him back here to the bedroom while the fireworks were going on. And I swear I thought I was in the middle of Beirut in, in, in one of the worst war zones ever. I've never heard 45 minute barrage of fireworks like that in my lifetime. My word. And, well, and, and there's a part of me who's rooting for somebody to blow a hand off. I hate yeah, that sounds just <laughs> terrible. I, I, I was rooting for somebody to blow a hand off. I think there was a little extra this year. People either saved the fireworks uh, yeah. from last year or they just went all out this year and used their saved up vacation money. I don't know what it was. There was a pretty great moment for me. I had to work on 4th of July, 3 to midnight at Channel 12. So my fiance went out to the lake with her family, had a good time, drank a few. They dropped her back off here. She fell asleep instantly. This is at like 7 p.m. maybe, right? Kind, so of, a, kind of a little, a little day drinking buzz, right? They kind well, of a little, well, a good you're day in the sun, sun you're in the lake. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Sure, just absolutely. fall asleep right it. away. Yep, and I did it. an hour and a half later, she wakes up and I, I walked upstairs. She wakes up and goes, what the hell? 8 a.m. Are you guys serious? And I go, <laughs> what, what, what do you got to get up at 8 a.m. for? Because I thought she was complaining that they were keeping her up. And she's like, no, I'm saying, why are they blowing off fireworks at 8 a.m.? I was like, well, it's not 8 a.m. She goes, whatever, 920. And I go, no, it's nighttime. You've been asleep for like 45 minutes. That's it. It's still the same. It's still 4th of July. And we That's had a good tremendous. laugh about that. And that was pretty much That's it, pretty so. funny. That is pretty yeah. good. I, I do like that. Yeah, I uh, I don't. Word. Uh, we we have gotten to the point where I am surprised that and, and you know, I'm not talking about you. I don't really care one way or the other. I'm not someone who really complains about the fireworks because I don't have kids. I don't have to get up early and our dog doesn't care about it. So I don't really complain about it. But there are so many moms, new mothers out there and dog moms out there who lose their mind over this stuff that I have to say I applaud and maybe even almost respect the people with enough testicular fortitude to be shooting them off still at like 1 a.m. Because they were going in our neighborhood till like 2.30. 
And yeah, it's funny. They, I, I heard a couple of cracks at like midnight, but nothing major. It was like a couple of pop pops here. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. When I, I, it felt like I was in a war zone for about 45 minutes. I've never heard more going off simultaneously in my life. It's, it felt like every everybody in our neighborhood was shooting off fireworks at the same time. So that's, that's what it sounded like. I never looked outside. I just, I hunkered down with the dog, turned the TV up as loud as I could. And, and I thought, my word, I can't imagine ever being in war for goodness sakes. Come on, Lassie, watch Gunsmoke. Don't focus on the explosions. Correct. Yeah. Don't don't look over here. My goodness, though. I, it, you know, and I'm sorry for the obviously the uh, the player with the uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets who died, and he was collateral damage from was fireworks. But it shows you things can go pretty 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 haywire pretty quick if you're not careful. JPP. Yep. JPP. We still right. made sacks though. All, All right. right you want to jump into some baseball to to. talk? Let's let's do it. Let's do it. That was talking fireworks. Now we'll get into some Reds talk as the Reds are now six games behind the first place Milwaukee Brewers in the NL Central after a 5-2 win over the Royals on Wednesday and a split by the Brewers and Cubs in their doubleheader. The Reds have a four-game series this weekend in Milwaukee with the Brewers, which will take them into the All-Star break. Then coming out of the break, they play three more against the Brewers at home. Skinny, is it fair to say that the next seven games all against the Brewers will decide the Reds' season, or is that getting too hyperbolic? No, I, I think that's probably about accurate. And we kind of talked a little bit about it last week. It, it, it kind of sucks that, you know, the Reds are going through a pretty good stretch. And, and you know, they, they, they almost can't afford to blow a ball game like they blew a couple of nights ago. And, and they're playing well. And yet you look up and they're still six games behind. Um, so now you get the chance to go head to head. And, and honestly, you, you can't go any worse than four and three. That that makes up only one game. You think about this. You you if you beat the Brewers over the next seven games in, in a you know, best of seven series, four, four out of three, you know, in a World Series, you technically win the series. And in this case, you'll win the series, but you'll only gain one game. And um, that's probably enough to keep you around because it makes you five back. But, um, you know, we, we've seen the Reds, they'll go on some weird ways the other way and the brewers just don't seem like they're going away because of their pitching um yeah i, I think you got to make a move because I, I think you need to put yourself in a definitive spot come trade deadline are you in or are you out because if you're out we talked about this you got to make tough decisions like what to do with nick castellanos you can't mess around with that if he's if he's marketable and you're going to get a significant haul back knowing that he may not resign here then you're going to have to or knowing that he may opt out here then you, you have to make that tough decision I think it's going to be hard to do if you're five out. I don't think it's gonna be hard to do at all if you're two out or if you're eight or nine out. So to me, yeah, I, I, I mean, you got to go four and three at a minimum and, and hopefully five and two and then look up and now you're three games back and you can make up three games very easily in a two month span for goodness sakes. So yeah, I, I don't think it, I, I, I will say it is make or break just because I think you need to know where you stand by the trade deadline, which doesn't come long after the, the seven games are, are wrapped up. You know, it, it's, it's just around the corner after that. Yeah, I, I agree. And you only play the Brewers one more time in a three-game series on the road the rest of the season. So there's, it's not like there's another shot at them later in the year where, oh, you still got a handful of games to make up. It's it's three more games, and that that helps maybe, but it's also on the road at their place. I mean, I, I'm with you. I think this is as must-win as a baseball series in July can possibly get. You asked me last week, was there a number that they needed to get down to to – make you feel like they were potentially buyers as opposed to sellers or that they were still in it. And I said, you got to be within at least five games, meaning you got to, it's got to be at least a week, a week's run. You know, if one week you get hot and the other team falters a bit, you've got a chance to get back in the mix. And I think 
the Reds, with what they've done over the last week plus, they've kind of put themselves in that position. They're at that six-game mark right now. You got a chance to cut this thing down to three or four, potentially even more than that if things really go well this weekend. But it, like you said, it can't be a four and three series for the Reds. That, that's just not going to be enough. And if you you lose more than you win, you go three and four or worse. Yeah, you're I, seven I, or more out. I tend to think it's pretty much over at that point, and they are looking to, to sell pieces off. And so, I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways, I really do think this decides a lot for this team. Let me ask you, that being said, how do you feel about this team right now going into that? I, I feel I feel really good. I wish Sonny Gray was pitching one of these four games. Um, I would feel a whole lot better. But right now, you are literally getting almost every single night here the last you know three or four weeks, you're getting a quality start out of a guy. Whether you want to define that by what a quality start is actually defined by or not is, is fine. And I'm not talking literally every start, but it's been damn close. And so when that's happening, you're going to be in every game. And, you know, some of them, unfortunately, they've had leads and blown because of the bullpen. Um, some of it, the offense hasn't been good enough, but I mean, they've shown some good grit. You know, yesterday's game, Wednesday's game, because they're doing this on Thursday morning. You know, they're, they're, they're slapping the ball around against Singer, can't get anything done, really not making great contact. And, and voila, they found one good inning in them and, um, you know, then played some good add on. And, and voila, you were able to, to survive when the bullpen was a little bit shaky as well, when the bases are loaded and, don't tell me you weren't holding your breath thinking this guy's going to hit one out. And by God, if he doesn't hit one of the warning track, uh, almost for a go-ahead grand slam. Uh, but, you know, I, I do because I just this team continues to get really good starting pitching. And, and that's where it all begins for any good team. I know the Reds did. The bullpen did blow one on Tuesday night. And yeah, Suarez helped that, too. Yes, yeah, so he was. He played a big role. But you look back of what they've done, you know, they've won what about five of the last six or six of the last seven here you look at those games and as much as we talk about this bullpen and their struggles you're seeing them win a lot of you know yeah Wednesday it was five three. to two where you know they added some insurance late but the bullpen held on to a, t- a tight lead a three two lead what it was for a while um starting in the seventh inning and you know the uh, while back they beat the Cubs three to two three to two two to one in that series all one run game so the bullpen has, I don't know if it's made some strides because they've kind of reshuffled some guys and used some of these scrap heap veteran types that they, they've added to the roster that have that have gotten them through here. But the bullpen, it, it's better than it was. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not confident and I don't feel great about it, but they have done enough here over the last week plus to make you feel like if they keep going like this, it at least gives the team a shot on a nightly basis. They're not going to be perfect yeah. and you don't expect that. But they're not, it's not, oh crap, we're turning over the bullpen. You got no chance type of deal like it was, you know, a month ago. Yeah. And, you know, you've had Jesse Winker fall back to earth a little bit, and the offense is, is, is not putting up huge numbers, but you're still getting enough guys around it. I mean, Indy has been really good at the top of the order. Um, Castellanos continues to, to play at a high level. Um, Tyler Naquin, you know, the average doesn't look great, but he gets, seems like gets big hits. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I got to see more and more of Tyler Stevenson. I, I'm having a hard time finding ways to keep that guy out of the lineup. And if that means it's the expense of Joey Votto for some games, so be it. I, I think he needs to play whether he's catching or playing first base almost every day. I mean, he gives you great at bats time and time again. So, you know, the lineup, the lineup itself too, it, it's, it's been more consistent, I guess. You know, for me, a lot of this team was a lot of feast or famine, nine run games, eight run games, and then zero or one. Well, now you're getting in that three to five run range for on a consistent basis. And you get that with the good starting pitching and the bullpen doing better. 
you're going to string some wins together. And and now it is. It's put up or shut up time. And, and let's see what they got here, especially before the All-Star break. Go win three of four. That gets it down to four games. I know it's on the road. You're probably going to just say, let's get a split. And I probably am fine with that. But you, you got to make up some ground. And this is a great chance to do it head to head. A lot of people have talked about this team is easy to root for. Or it's fun to root for. People seem to like this team. I think a big part of that is their clutchness. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like talking about that in baseball, but this team has scored. See, I, more. See, I do. I do. I, I think there is something to that. I totally agree, especially in baseball. And this team from the seventh inning on seventh through ninth inning, they've scored more runs this year than any team in the National League. Seventh inning. Yeah, that that and, and, is and, part of what makes this team fun, in my opinion, is they do agreed. You do get the the Indias and the Naquins and the guys like that, the Stevensons, who seem to be able to come up with those big clutch hits late, even if they're not tearing it up at all times. Yeah, I dude, I there is a clutch factor in every sport. It's and the thing that nobody likes, especially numbers crunchers, is it's a lot of times hard to quantify. I mean, John Elway could be awful for three quarters, right? And then decide, yep, time to turn it on. Here we go. And, and maybe there's something to the fact he shouldn't have sucked for three quarters, but he seemed to pull out a lot of wins when he looked bad for three quarters. From a basketball perspective, you and I are both probably bigger basketball guys than, than any other sport. There are guys that I don't want shooting free throws at first three quarters. In fact, I, I had a point guard a few years ago. I hated him early in games, but by God, down the stretch, if I spread the floor, he'd go make six of, of seven free throws because for whatever reason, when it mattered most, he was making the front end of the bonus. He was making both. Middle of the game, maybe his focus wasn't quite there. Maybe he just, you know, it, it, it wandered, whatever. But down the stretch, that cat was making free throws. And, there, and you know, there are plenty of guys like that in, 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 in every league from the NBA down through my level of, of, of basketball at the high school level. So I do believe there's something to clutch. I just think it, for a lot of people, it's hard to quantify what it's clutch. Yeah, that's exactly the issue with it. And, and I get the overriding point when they talk about, you know, it matters what you do on a consistent basis and all that. It all takes care of itself. But there is a certain level of magic, clutchness, late game heroic to sports that there always will be. And this team, it's a limited sample size. Obviously, you're only talking about the handful of games they've been able to do it this season. But again, they have scored more runs than any team in the national league after the seventh inning so far this season, which that is, I think somewhat relevant and just what you've seen even recently in some of these games, it does make them easy to root for when they've got those guys that are able to string together key hits in the key moments, even just Wednesday's game, they, they get that three to two lead and then Shogo Akiyama gets a big insurance run. And then, Maybe it was Stevenson again late. Someone else got a big. Oh, uh, yeah, Nate, Nate, Nate got the bloop Nate single went. to left center to, yeah, to make it 5-2. But yeah, it was a great at bat and a great piece of hitting just to fight one off and, and dunk it into no man's land. Exactly. And th that's the type of stuff that is fun about this team. So I think everyone is hoping that they're able to, to make a run here and kind of overtake the Brewers. The nice thing is the Cubs have fallen off the face of the earth. Yeah, correct. I mean, they, they really, if you looked at run differential a month ago, the Cubs were so the Cubs far were best. Away. They, 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 they were the, they were the best in the division by far. By far, the record didn't even match up to how good their run differential was. I mean, run differential isn't the end all be all. As a better, I tend to look at it a little more than I probably should. But it does give you an idea of how you're scoring against other teams, and if you're running into some bad luck there. And man, the Cubs all of a sudden have fallen off. The I mean, they were like plus fifty, and now they've got a negative run differential. 
Yeah, so, they're, they're negative 15, and the Brewers have gone the opposite. If you remember, this might have been two podcasts ago, maybe three at max, Rick. I, I want to say it was only two podcasts ago. The Reds were minus six in run differential. Brewers were plus six. So not a big run differential between the teams. I think the Reds were eight or eight and a half back at that point. This will tell you how 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 goofy this has been. So the Reds have made up about two or two and a half games since that point in time, right? Since that point in time, the Reds are now plus five. So they're, they're, they've gone to plus 11 in run differential in, the, in that two-week period. The Brewers are now up to 49, yeah. plus 49. So they've gone plus 43 run differential in the last two weeks. That, that's, that's crazy. They've been on a crazy tear. It might be slightly longer than that, but they have been on a tear, and, and the run differential kind of bears that out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this these next seven games are really going to tell the story. And yeah, I do too. I, I can't I remember too. a series I've been this excited for in – early July either with the Reds. Yeah. And I, I, and I'll be honest with you. If the Reds do do something over this, this next four games, let's say they do something fairly magic. If they win three or four, you know, that's tip your cap time. Cause again, you're playing a, a really good team. That's really hot, hot for the most part yeah. on the road. I mean, the only one that cooled them off was Jacob DeGrom and they almost beat him for goodness sakes. If not for a, a rare brewer bullpen meltdown um, in that first game of the doubleheader Wednesday. Uh, if they do something like that, I got to imagine you'll see some electricity in great American ballpark. And I thought you had some this past weekend with the Cubs, although sometimes that's yeah, some Cubs of us Cubs fans. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But I got a feeling you get out of this, you come back out of the break. If you've chopped two off and you're four back, um, you know, with that series coming here to Milwaukee for three more, which a sweep then would get you within a game. I got a feeling you'll see great American pretty electric that you haven't seen in a long, long, long time. All right, let's shift gears from baseball to football and Skinny, it's kind of the slow season right now with the Bengals as we're in That's that why I'm on vacation, baby. <laughs> time between OTAs, minicamp, and the start of actual training camp. And during this time, it's takes season. And I've got a few Bengals takes for you. I want to know which one you're more interested in, which one you're buying more. And I'll, I'll give you both of them here. The first one okay. is from something called Pro Football Network. They went through and they, they ranked the most overrated player on every team. For the Cincinnati Bengals, they took Trey Hendrickson, the new defensive end who came from the Saints. They said from 2017 to 2019, Hendrickson was a solid rotational piece along the Saints defensive line. Nonetheless, he exploded in 2020, racking up 13 and a half sacks, tied with Aaron Donald for second most in the league. While impressive, sacks are more quarterback dependent and are not a stable metric. I will never fault a player for earning his money, but the Bengals let an underrated player walk in Carl Lawson in favor of giving a big payday to an overrated one. On the second side of things, we've got Mark Sessler from NFL.com. He wrote about one potential first-time pro bowler from each team that could emerge this season. And this is what he said for the Bengals. He said, first-round wideout Jamar Chase will nab more press this summer, but T. Higgins has toiled behind the scenes, and it's been reported that, quote, coaches and teammates have noticed Higgins' physical development, which was expected after he declared for the NFL early. Offensive coordinator Brian Callahan also declared that Higgins is, quote, going to play a huge role in the offense after finishing his promising rookie year with 67 catches, 908 yards, and six TDs, which should only grow in 2021. There's plenty of mouths to feed in Cincinnati, but Higgins is poised to shine beside Chase and Tyler Boyd. Skinny, which of those two takes are you more in on? Probably more in on the Trey Hendrickson one, but I'm going to defend him here in a second. Um, let, let's go with T first. I, I just don't know if T's a dynamic enough player. And I think the fact that you're going to have 
and, and last year the Bengals spread it around. I did a, that piece we talked about a couple of weeks ago, kind of the three reasons for optimism, three reasons for pessimism. You know, last year they spread it around pretty well too. I think I think Boyd led in in targets with 112. I'm doing this off the top of my head. It's in my column. Uh, T was at 108, and I think AJ Green was at 106. The big differential is that AJ Green very, very rarely converted his targets into catches. And this year, Jamar Chase will be that guy who you're expecting to turn those targets into catches. So I think the thing is, it's going to be so evenly distri- distributed with targets um, that I just don't know if any of the three are going to put up one of those crazy 1500 yard, 15 touchdown seasons. I've told you, I think all three of them have a chance to go over a thousand yards and not just because it's a 17 game season. I think they got a chance to, to go over it, you know, even if it was a 16 game season, cause I think they're all going to complement each other. So I don't know if I buy, I mean, to me, the easy one is a guy who should have made the pro bowl last year. And that's Jesse Bates. I mean, yeah, he's already on the tip point. of tongues anyway. So, I mean, if he has the same season he had last year, I don't think he's going to get overlooked again. Yeah. He got so a ton of notoriety with what he did last year and people know that he got snubbed now. That's right. I mean, he's on the radar. So maybe that's an easy take to, for me to make because of how close he is. And, and, and this author was look, looking to go a little out of the ordinary um, with it. And so I, I do appreciate it. I just don't I just don't see how any of those three receivers just put up huge number. I think they're all going to have great seasons, but I think it's going to be really even. It's going to be hard to separate one from the other. Yeah, we'll start I'll, there. And also, I'll let you I'll let you get your take on that. And then we'll I, go to the Trey Hendrickson one. I almost wonder, is it a concern for the Bengals if Higgins emerged in that way like would that mean they're relying too much on him and and Chase didn't break out enough or is that going to be man they have one guy that's even better than maybe what they thought in Higgins and they still got a guy that could emerge very quickly in Chase too I I'm I'm wondering if it would even be a good thing if Higgins emerged that fast yeah yeah I just don't see it happening because I think again it's gonna it's it's all they're so coverage dictated I think you saw it even last year there were balls that went to AJ Green when when he was the guy you were supposed to throw it to because he's the one that's got the coverage that you liked. He just couldn't get separation and convert. I think that's the difference this year. I think the thing that makes Chase probably the breakout guy is that he can do some things that I don't think Higgins can do, which is turn a six-yard slant into a 60-yard touchdown. I love T. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I do think he's going to have his body's, you know, he's talked about being stronger. He weighs about the same, but he says he's turned him, you know, he's turned some stuff into muscle. He feels like he's a much better route runner. Um and, and I believe him. I'll take him at his word for it. And, and, and those around him have talked about him too. But I just, I think it's going to be so even that I, I just, I don't see it. I, I think Chase is the guy that he could turn, you know, his targets into as many catches maybe as, as you were hoping for 70, 75, whatever it is on hundred plus targets. And he's the guy though, that can do some stuff after catch that, that Tyler Boyd normally can't do. And, and, and T Higgins probably isn't capable of doing, I think Chase can do those things. I do appreciate the take. I think it's an interesting one because I do think, you know, T's going to step forward. I just think there's there's just too much around him. As for the Trey Hendrickson one, I get it. I do. But how are you faulting a guy for getting sacks? It almost sounds like this guy's faulting him for getting the sacks. I mean, yeah, I, I, I know Carl Lawson had the pressures. I know that some of the fact that he has pressures that you were hoping that some of the tackles in the other end can turn into sacks were there. But I also watched Carl Lawson go around the quarterback a lot of times. And if that's considered a pressure then I'm not watching the same game you're watching, man. He gets he gets there, and a lot of times he gets shoved right on by. Is that a pressure because the guy stepped up? Yeah. And the, I like Carl. I, I don't really understand the pressure stat fully because there were some and, games and, and last listen, year where and, the Bengals didn't even sniff the quarterback. And we come and away Carl talking about de- Carl's pressures. I'm like, I don't know what he did. 
And it took Carl four years to develop into an every down end. And that's fine. Cause when they drafted him, we didn't know what he was. Cause I remember they, the very first training camp, they listed him as a linebacker. They didn't know what he was. So then he became a, that rookie year, a really good situational pass rusher for seven games and then fell off the map. When I think tackles realize this guy's got one move and it's to get low and under me. And I'm just going to shove him behind a quarterback and be done with him. Um, and then Carl got hurt and that's no, no fault of Carl's and Carl fought his way back into Carl's credit this past year. He worked his way somewhat by default because of Carlos Dunlap being a turd and not playing very well. He worked his way into being an every down end and he was pretty good. Um, I don't think he was great. I thought he was pretty good. And I think the Bengals made the right move in letting him walk. And this year is going to tell it. I, I think it's hard to say that Trey Hendricks is overrated when kind of like Carl Lawson, it took him a little bit of time to work his way into a, a starting role or at least a, a main situational role. And then the guy took advantage of it. And well, I, I also I, think it's, it's, it's hard for me to fault him for that. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that, Carl Lawson is deemed underrated in this guy's despite the fact that he had probably his most impressive year as a rookie. He was then injured off and for on seven for games, a couple for years, seven or eight games for seven or eight games as a rookie. Go look him up. The last handful of guys, he had one sack in the last seven games. Right. But I mean, that's, but that's, he was more impressive because I think like you said, no one knew what he was going to be as a rookie and you were using him in a limited role. So it was like, okay, maybe you have something here that can, they can help you going forward. People are high on him. And then he gets injured off and on. And then, like you said, last year he had a pretty good year, but not great. I mean, he wasn't all that productive, but he was one of the the more consistent guys on the defense and, and someone that you would have liked to have kept around if it was easy and it worked out. I, I don't I don't know. I just don't really understand how he's viewed as underrated and Trey Hendrickson is overrated when Trey Hendrickson has clear, pretty clearly gotten better since he's been in the NFL and hey, look, just it, peaked it, last Trey year. Hendrick- Right. And Trey Hendrickson might be the one year wonder. I, I don't see that. I see a young guy who kind of finally got it. Maybe the light bulb went off and he started to make plays. We're going to find out obviously, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's fair to call him overrated when we haven't seen him as a Bengal when he's coming off of a pretty productive year. I do. How's get, that overrated? I think the one point I can understand is that gaudy 13 and a half sacks number. When you see that, and maybe if you're a fan, who's not really keyed in on, Trey Hendrickson or what that number means. You could think, okay, the Bengals got one of the best pass rushers in the entire NFL because that's what that number would suggest. And I don't think most people following it closely believe that's what the Bengals have in Trey Hendrickson. They think they've got a guy who could be comparable to a Carl Lawson, not one of the best players in the NFL. No, and I, I don't, I, I'm not here to suggest I think he is one of the best ends in the NFL, but right. I also can't discount 13 and a half sacks either. It means you got there, some of it scheme related, some of it because let's face it, New Orleans was playing from ahead a bunch, which gives you more pass rush opportunities, but also tells me he's finishing some things. Carl Lawson doesn't finish. Carl Lawson was okay last year, in my opinion. I was not as high on him as most people because exactly that. I think most of that job that he's performing, especially as a guy that doesn't cover all that well, is finishing, getting to the quarterback, putting him on the ground, or at least hitting him. There wasn't a lot of that going on last year for the Bengals. Quarterbacks were way too comfortable with the guys that the Bengals had rushing the quarterback. So I'm not in love with Carl Lawson. I mean, would I have taken him back? Absolutely. But I don't think it was like this this major loss, and I don't see him as being some underrated guy i think he probably got more money than what he's proven to be worth to this point so yeah and so 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 then let's do this in fairness if i mean i'll give this guy whoever credit whoever it is like you went out on a limb on a guy so i'm, I'm not going to crap on him for that because it is just simply a hot take it's extremely subjective um and that's fine so if you had to pick an overrated guy who would it be 
That's a good question. You cover the team every day. Do you have one that comes to mind? This is probably not going to be fair. I've got two of them that come to mind, and they're probably neither one fair, but if you've got to pick one, I'm going to go DJ Reader because I just didn't see it in the five, five games he played, and I know he didn't have Geno next to him, so I'm kind of interested to see having somebody like a Larry Ogunjobi next to him. DJ Reader comes to my mind because, as you know, I, I wasn't overly impressed with that signing. I thought that was a lot of money to pay a guy to be a, a, a middle-of-the-line of the run stuffer who doesn't do a lot from a pass, pass rush perspective. Um, and to some degree, Von Bell, because he can't cover a soul. He's a good tackler, and he's a good blitzer, and he's good against the run. But, my God, he's so bad in pass coverage, it's ridiculous. So I think the, the fair one that people will be okay with, and I agree with, is Von Bell. That, that was one that came to my mind early. If we're going by the, the word overrated and we're being very specific about that word, I would maybe put Jesse Bates' name out there. Not that would I don't think really? Jesse Bates isn't awesome. I think he's very good. Mm. I do not think he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. Like, I, I think, think he's, he's awful for- damn good. Me too, but I don't think he's like a top five safety in the NFL, if we're being honest. There's a, I, well, there's a lot of people that do, so it's hard for me to, 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 to crap on that. Um, that that's and, why and, I would say – that's I would why say, I would bring I would him say, up for most overrated because a lot of people think a lot of him after last year, and yeah. I don't know that he's quite that good. And, and he's being asked to do an awful lot back there, including being one of the top tacklers because your front, your defensive front so bad and your linebackers are so bad. Yeah. And, and Von Bell is too. Don't get me wrong. Von Bell's asked to do a lot from a, from a tackling perspective. But Jesse, Jesse does some pretty good things in the past game that Von Bell doesn't come close to doing. Von Bell's terrible in coverage. Agreed. No, I, I again, Von Bell doesn't get the type of praise that Jesse Bates gets, though. So, again, no, it's fair. not it's not about are you good or not? Jesse Bates is very good. If we're talking about the word overrated. All right. So let me, I, let me ask you. I this. could maybe let make a slight this. argument for Jesse. Bates. And I know this isn't fair because he only played five games. Give me the highlight play from DJ Reader last year. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got no I can't remember a single thing. Right. He did, I can't. I can't so, but and I, I know that's not always his role as a tackle. I get it. But Gino was a tackle and Gino made a lot of spectacular plays for a long time when he was when he was the right Gino. When he he was good, Gino. Sure. I mean, we just haven't seen hardly anything from DJ Reader. Fair enough. Yet. I just, I don't they feel comfortable. To a, lot of, a lot of money, brother. Oh, yeah. And I mean, hey, we might be halfway into this season and revisit this question. And he has a good chance of absolutely being that guy. I just feel like we haven't really gotten to see anything from him yet to make that assessment. But he's certainly up for it, especially when you factor in the money. Yeah, no, yeah. I like I said I, I I don't appreciate I I appreciate some some of the hot take stuff I you know mythical trades and that stuff I, and mythical free agent signings I'm not a big fan of I, those were those were two pretty decent hot takes from those people right we don't go into these things all that often because I'm not all that interested in them and you aren't at all but I thought both of these were somewhat interesting yeah. takes that I could I could see the point in both of them so uh, yeah. just real quick here the most overrated player on other teams in the AFC North for the uh, Ravens they had linebacker Patrick Queen. For the Browns, Ooh, they had wide really? receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Absolutely. And for the Steelers, I think everyone will agree with this: Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver. Yeah, I still think Juju can play. I yeah, I get it though, and and you know his his antics certainly don't warrant the way he does. I boy Patrick Queen, I don't agree with that at all. And again, I didn't watch every Ravens game, but Ravens games I watched, he seemed to be a pretty good playmaker to me. All right, let's switch gears one more time here before we get to uh, some. Betting talk, but it'll really be more college basketball related. We're kind of going to shift that segment this time uh, to get extra topic or two out of it. But we are headed to game two of the NBA finals tonight as we record this on Thursday morning. Right now, the Phoenix Suns have a 1-0 lead on the Milwaukee Bucks after winning game one, 118-105. to 
Skinny, I'll, I'll leave it very simple. You can go any way you want with this, but do you like the Bucks or the Suns to win the NBA Finals? And tell me whatever uh, yeah, else you want. You know my rooting interest there because I've got the two tickets alive. I'm going to win money no matter which one of these teams wins, but I will win two and a half times as much money if, if Phoenix wins. So my, my heart is with the, the Suns. I think my head is too. Um, and I don't even know if, if it matters if the Freaks 100% or not. It certainly matters to Milwaukee to, to win some games at home if that's the case. I just don't see Milwaukee breaking Phoenix and Phoenix. So I, I think the Suns win the series, and I'm going to go that Phoenix even steals one on the road. I'll go Phoenix and I'll go Phoenix in five or six. Yeah, I actually have a ticket on Phoenix in six. One thing that has stood out to me, and this has really been all playoffs. It happened a lot with Trey Young. Uh, we saw it with Lucas. Some we're certainly seeing it with Chris Paul and the Suns and Devin Booker. Some analysts, fans, and certainly people who cover betting and and want to give out picks have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to ball screen defense. Absolutely none. Everybody is just talking about, oh, they're they're doing drop coverage. They're switching. First of all, half the time, they're not even right when they're saying that. Teams are doing all types of different stuff. It hasn't been like one set coverage for every screen. Second of all, like these guys that are just sitting there point out, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing drop. You should be going over the screen and, and staying with it, fighting through. Or, or they're coming up with these solutions on the fly, like, like all the best coaches and all the best minds in the game at the NBA level are watching the same thing as them and just not realizing it. You know, Jim 69 on Twitter knows what they should be doing, but Mike Budenholzer just didn't see it. Watched a lot of film this postseason, just couldn't quite figure it out in time for the Suns game. Like, what are and how about the fact? How about the fact that Phoenix is impossible to guard in pick and roll situations? How about that? That is more my point here. And this is, to an extent, something I ran into during Xavier's season. Like, I got to the point where I started asking, hey, is the pack line and the hard hedge that Xavier uses to defend ball screens just not the right way to do it in today's era? You know what I've realized? There is no right way to do it. That's why every offense is all ball screen related. Because if you have good players that can work it effectively, you really can't guard it. There's no good option to take it away if you have an elite point guard, if you have guys that can score from the mid-range, if you have a big man who knows how to roll and can score a little bit or catch lobs. There is no good way to stop ball screen offense. And I, I think we have to evolve past this as fans, as analysts, as everybody, because I'm so sick of everybody talking about they just need to change their ball screen coverage every game. Like it's a simple snap of the fingers, change your strategy. And all of a sudden you're going to be able to stop the best point guards in the world. Yeah. I but you do have to, if you're Mike Budenholzer, you do have to find a way to, to, to try to do something. And I don't know what the answer to that is. The only thing I can think of is I would blitz it and, and just say, listen, you want to let your big guy slip and, and these guys Booker, if he has the ball in his hands or Paul that they give it up. Um, and it may cost me Deandre Ayton having a 40 point game. I think I'm okay with that, I guess. But they are, they're just, they're, they're really good at it. And Aiton's a big guy. You ain't getting over top of his screen by him. Good luck to you. So at that point, then Chris Paul's got you dead, dead, dead in the sights. He's going to pull up and shoot the 15 footer. If it's up higher, he's going to pull up and shoot a three. He's going to get downhill to the rim. He's going to get downhill to a kick. He's going to get downhill to a lob. Um, so to me, I, that's the only thing I can think of it, the way I would defend it. And I'm not even telling you that's the right way to do it. I just think I got to get it out of those guys' hands more than, than anything else and put it in Aiton's hands or, or whoever the, the screen setter is, put it in their hands. That's the only thing I can think of. 
Yeah, I'm not trying to say defense doesn't matter, that you don't need to do some scheming, but I also just think it matters so much no, more about you. what's happening no, right. on the offensive side. Like when Trey Young is being Trey Young and hitting every mid-range jumper like he was at times uh, during this postseason, there wasn't anything you could do to beat it. And the same thing goes for like the Suns right now when Chris Paul is doing what he's doing and Devin Booker's doing what he's doing. If they're both on at the same time and they're playing that way and Aiton's playing well too – I don't know that there's a good way to take it away. I, I think you have to stick to your, your principles, stick to your defense and hope that the guys on them can disrupt them enough. Maybe you, maybe it's a hard foul at some point or something like that, take them out of their rhythm. But that's, that's why we see big swings in these games. So you see one game, one team wins by 15, the next, the other team wins by 15. The difference is they made shots that they didn't well, make a, in the game it, before. You know it, what I mean? It, it, it depends yeah. on what the offense is doing so much. That's why I always say, Good offense beats good defense ten out of ten times. Yeah, go back to the, the to the uh, to the Western Conference Finals. I think it was the first game of that series against the Clippers that the Suns lost. It might have been the second game, but I think it was the first game that they lost in that series. It was the first game. I think Chris Ball came back, and it was a game where Booker was dealing with the with the with the mask, and they were combined nine of what thirty seven or something. It was something ridiculous where they those two guys didn't make shots. Well, that's just that that's an outlier. Okay, so you won that game because of an outlier, and that's where. This, I think Phoenix truly is. I think they're the best team, and I think they've proven it through the playoffs. They, they honestly almost proved it through the regular season. They, let's not forget, they were the two seed in the West. Right. <laughs> they're not just some seven seed that came out of nowhere. It's a pretty well put together team. No, this is a, a really good team. They're a young team. They're really fun to watch. They've got a lot of different pieces to cover a lot of different things that you want to be able to cover in basketball, whether that be on offense or defense. I mean, the, the emergence of DeAndre Ayton and the way he's developed just in this postseason has been – fun to watch and he's a guy that you know I, I think it's he's kind of easy to root for because there aren't many big men like him in today's game left you oh, know right. he's not not a guy that's out there shooting threes he's just dunking and rebounding and and running old school pick and roll stuff so I, I've enjoyed watching them a lot like I said I'm with you I think they win in, in six games I've got them four to two and, and I think something I go back to last round is that the Clippers were the team that had the best chance to guard the Suns they matched up the best, having those two long wings that can both really guard when Kawhi was healthy before he got injured. Yeah, that that, that was a problem. <laughs> that, that's what, yeah, that's what made it hard. But they were the team that were most well equipped to defend them. And if they weren't going to be able to get it done, and Grant, part of that was due to injury to Kawhi, if they weren't going to be able to get it done, I didn't see either of the teams left in the East being able to get it done defensively. And I think that's what we saw in game one. I expect that to continue to play out. And I know this is going to sound odd because it, it, you're going to probably smack me for this. And, and that's where you go back to the other end from Milwaukee. I just don't know if they have enough offensive pieces to to to, to keep up. I, I don't. Uh, it, it you know they'll they'll have their games. I mean, when you've got Giannis who can go off for forty on any given night, and Chris Middleton who can put thirty on you any given night. But enough to win four games, including at least one on the road in this series? That's the issue. I just I just don't yeah. know that it's enough firepower for that. They'll have their games. They'll win a couple, especially at home. No, they're legit. I mean, again, it's a, it's a funny part is I think everybody looks up and goes, my gosh, is Milwaukee and Phoenix in the final? Milwaukee's legit. Phoenix is legit. It's okay. I know it's, yeah. not, the, it's, not, the, it's not the Lakers Celtics from the day. These are two good teams. And Drew Holiday can be kind of a wild card for the Bucs. If he really plays at his peak, he gives them a better chance because it gives you a guard that can that can match a little bit what Chris Paul and what Devin Booker are doing to you but yeah I just don't see it not for not for four games in this series and like you said I don't see the Bucks breaking Phoenix at home yeah you need Pat Connaughton to make shots like the Nets needed Joe Harris to make shots okay good luck yeah <laughs> skinny one other thing we wanted to touch on kind of betting related more so college basketball 
I wanted to bring up this UK situation that we're seeing develop. Uh, Davion Mintz announces that he is now coming back to school as well. And oh yeah, Kofi Coburn, big man from Illinois. A lot of people saw play in the NCAA tournament this past year was a huge part of why Illinois was a top 10 team pretty much the entire season. Actually, I think they were top 10 the entire yeah, they season. Were. Top five. No, by top the end five. Of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He sounds like he's going to end up at UK too. It's sounds a lot like the CJ Frederick situation where everyone expected him to go to UK as soon as he announced that he was coming back to college and going to be in the transfer portal. Now he's sort of saying, hey, I want to take visits and everything first to let it die down a little bit, while also mentioning that Orlando Antigua was the whole reason he went to Illinois in the first place, and now he's at UK. So, I mean, this UK situation, I'm looking at them right now on Team Futures to win the NCAA tournament next year. They're plus 1,800, so you're getting 18 to 1 odds there. To make the Final Four, they're plus 500, 5 to 1 odds there. Skinny, what? How do you see this UK team all of a sudden, especially assuming they do add Kofi Coburn? Is it, uh, is it a situation where Cal is loaded and he's got the best team in the country? Is it a situation where there's too many cooks in the kitchen all of a sudden? I'll tell you what, I, I, I as much as I, and I know I'm a Kentucky grab, but for those who have listened to the podcast and have heard me, they know I'm not a big Cal fan and I'm not. But I also know value where value is. If I win this, well, whichever team I win it on, whether it's Milwaukee or Phoenix, Phoenix, I'll have a little bit more play money than I would with Milwaukee. I might put 50 bucks at 18 to one on Kentucky to win 50 to win 900 right now. I mean, if Kobe Coburn comes and I do think there's the issue of, of one ball and, and, and too many guys, what don't you have at the moment? I mean, honestly, what, what piece don't you have? You have, you have a point guard who's done it in the sec in severe Wheeler and he is a ball dominant point guard, but he's done it as a scorer and a distributor. What was it? 14.7 assists per game at Georgia. Um, that's pretty good. Um, you've got, Minsk, who now fits better as a role, is coming off the bench. You got two shooters. You got the is it, I always I keep forgetting if it's Grady or Granny, the kid from Davidson. Grady. You got a shooter yeah, there, Kellen Grady. Yeah, Kellen Grady. Yeah, you got a shooter there. You got a, a, a shooter in C.J. Frederick. You got a shooter still in Dante Allen. Who, if I'm him at this point, I think I may have to put my name in the transfer portal um, because now suddenly my minutes are going to get eaten up. Um, you got Ty Ty Washington, who is going to compete to be a starter. Um, you got Oscar Shibway, who's going to give you some muscle. You, if you get Coburn, you've got not only a, 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 more muscle, you've got another guy who can put the ball in the basket and, and you can play a lot of screen and roll games with him because uh, they did a lot of that at, at, at Illinois. I mean, you, what piece don't you have? I mean, I guess you could argue I don't have a stretch four. Okay, I can play three guards, a point guard, and one of the bigs, and I'll, I'll be just – I got three wings. I got three shooters out there. I'll spread you out. I think they got a chance to play a lot of different ways, length to defend. What don't you have? Yeah, there, there's not a lot of holes in here. Here's like I was talking to a buddy on Monday about this and he was bringing up Davion Mintz. I think he could he could still make a difference. I don't think we've seen the best of Davion Mintz. He could be a nice scorer still. And I go, dude, here's the difference. Last year, you needed Davion Mintz to be needed a scorer, That's right. to be exactly. a shooter. This year, he's going to be like your ninth option. He's going to be eighth at best. I mean, correct. he may get some minutes. He may flourish and have a better year this year and, and be a more significant factor, but you don't need him to. He's not going to be relied upon to be a main guy for this team. That's a nice place to be in when you've got a guy who's as experienced as Davion Mintz can clearly provide you something. He showed last year he can make some shots for you and give you something on the offensive end, but you really don't even need him. Yeah, your roster is pretty loaded. I mean, uh, just think about, I mean, you're not even talking about a he, Keon yeah, Brooks. Ke- Keon Brooks. Yeah. Keon Jacob Brooks fits Toppin. a role that he should fit. Right. Jacob Todd fits a role that, that Lance uh, as Ware. A defender, I mean, you, 
rim protector, right? I mean, I you, mean you, you, you've got, you literally, it is almost, it almost is too. And the other thing you have here too is, and I think Mark story in the election Herald leader wrote, uh, wrote this. I didn't read the whole piece. I got sidetracked, but he wrote the fact that this, this, the experience of, 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 of NCAA game experience might be the most Cal's ever had. So it's not just bringing in guys that are talented. You've got guys that have done it at the collegiate. You've got CJ Frederick playing for a top 15 team in Iowa. And granted, they couldn't guard a, a fence post and that proved itself out. But you'd agree with me. That was a fifth top 15 team at Iowa. And he was a big part of that. Severe so Wheeler got it done in the Southeastern. He did it against the competition you're going to play against at a pretty high level. Kofi Coburn did it, as you mentioned, arguably the best player on a top five team. Oscar Shebway was a big part of what West Virginia was doing early in the season before he decided to leave. These guys have done it at the college level. This isn't, boy, I sure hope Terrence Clark is really good. God rest his soul. I, you know, I sure hope DJ Boston lives up to the hype. No, this is guys who have done it. So, and they get it. You're not having to teach a lot of new, you're at the teacher system and all that, but they've been through the wars. So yeah, I think I, you give me eighteen to one. I'm I'm putting I'm putting some money on that right now. I, I think it's worth and it. I'm play, it's a, and I'm playing and I'm playing with house money anyway. So what the hell? Yeah, you might as well. But I think anybody that's looking at college basketball futures, you have to be looking at UK right now. And uh, you know, I mean, maybe those odds will change as soon as Kofi Coburn is in the fold. I imagine they would. Uh, so you might want to jump yeah, on it before I, I, that gets announced. Good um, point. It's a good call. But. Yeah, I mean, at 18-1 to 1 right now with this roster, and, and that last part you brought up is crucial because, you know, everyone's been talking about Cal needs to do it differently and his way may not work. Well, okay, he's doing it differently. There's tons of experience here. There's a lot more shooting here. Um, even some guys that may not be typical Cal players. You know, Kellen Grady's pretty damn good, has done a lot in his college career, but obviously coming from Davidson, not your typical Cal-level recruit. C.J. Frederick, not your typical Cal-level athlete, although another very good player that has proven himself already at the college level. He's got a mix of different guys. He's got more skill on this team. He's got a little more IQ to go with the young, talent, athletic-type guys. It, it's what fans were looking for. It may not work. Maybe this this will be too many new guys that are – too much talent and not enough balls to go around, but he's at least doing what the UK fans wanted. No, that's right. You're right. And, and he's doing it well. I mean, this is about as good of a offseason roster flip as I think we've seen in college basketball. I, I'd be honest with you, if you were to tell me that, that he would have to start a lineup of Severe Wheeler, CJ Frederick, Kellen Grady, Oscar Shibway, and, and, and Kofi Coburn, who would all be five new guys, five transfers. <laughs> right. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm not even counting in other the other guy. I mean, there's other guys worth counting in that I'm, I didn't even mention. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got all the freshmen and all the returning guys that you're not even counting in that, and you've still got a team that would be very competitive right there right. just from the newcomers, if not really good, if not a favorite. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting year in Kentucky. Look, watching how this whole thing develops. It always is at UK because it's such a turnover every single year with the roster, but this is – a lot different from what we've seen in the past from coach now, Cal. So now I would ask you though, and I, and I mean this sincerely, if you're Dante Allen, why, why are you staying? It's a good question. Um, what, but what, again, do you, what do you fit? He's a local kid who, you know, probably means a it. lot for him to be on I, UK's roster. And he did get I his get chance it. last year. I mean, he did get to well, play. And minutes. I, and, 
Right. And that to me would say, okay, I've proven I can do it, but I'm now going to be the fifth or sixth option and get me five minutes. To come, uh, but I, if, I but if you're, but think about it from his perspective, if you're a guy who's already there on the team, you already earned your minutes last year. You're just going to give up and say, okay, these new guys are better than me. I got no chance to play. No, I don't I, think I, that's I know that, how but, most guys but, but would don't forget. It. Cal reluctantly gave him minutes last year, sure. almost by default of this year. He ain't got to give him minutes by default. He's got guys he can put in ahead of him. I get what you're saying. I'm just saying if you're coming at it from Dante yeah. Allen's perspective now, midway through this year, I think we could be talking about a different story. If he's not right, playing at right. all, he may just ship out midway through the year, or at least you'll know very obviously he, he's going to be gone after the year's over. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I understand why Dante Allen, after finally getting some minutes and seeing a little bit, bit of success last year, why he's not just saying, well, now I got recruited over. I'm going <laughs> to ship out. And I will say he did sign. In fact, when we were doing the podcast last week, when we were talking the NIL and some of the stuff was breaking about guys in different programs already signing deals, he signed a deal before we even did the podcast last week. He signed it, I guess, or it was reported actually early, early, early in the morning that he had he had signed a deal. So maybe he's got a good NIL deal, and he's going to say, "Hey, to hell with it! I'll I'll be more than happy to sit here at Kentucky with a good NIL deal." Well, you know, that's another thing to think about as we move into this new world of college basketball or college sports in general. Kentucky is going to be pretty well positioned in that regard, you would think. So we'll, yep. We'll, yep. we'll keep tabs on that as well as we go along. Uh, one other college basketball thing we wanted to touch on real quick is Xavier. They actually announced their 2021-2022 non-conference schedule. The full deal is out. Uh, we knew most of these games already. But uh, skinny, I guess, is there anything that stands out to you about it? What no, I know you like it. I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I'm good with it, I guess. And, and and some of this is obviously when you're in the Big East. We've talked about this before. You can be a really good team and go 500. So you sure don't want to kill yourself non-conference. Um, obviously, Ohio State coming for the Gavit game is 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 awesome. Um, having them in Cintas Center, I just don't know enough about the three teams in the NIT: Memphis, Virginia Tech, Iowa State. Um, you know, those those could all be a good win by the end of the year if they win those games, or we may look up and, you know, Virginia Tech slogs around 500 because they get in the ACC and get beat up. Iowa State's got a long mountain to climb as they try to kind of rebuild, in my opinion. And Penny hasn't proven a thing at Memphis other than he can get some talent and then roll the balls out. Um, Oklahoma State did lose Cade Cunningham, but I think you mentioned we were talking before the podcast, they do return everybody else. But again, they do lose Cade Cunningham. Um, the, the thing I guess that stands out for me is when I look at it, it's alarming to look and see on December 15th when they play Moorhead State that that's the last non-conference game. <laughs> and I, I'm used to conference season starting in January anymore, but but I mean, you're talking about, boy, bam, you're right into the Big East that early. Um, you know, what was it just a few years ago? The Big East felt like they started their season on those new with those New Year's Eve or New Year's Day games. Well, they, they always have. Yeah, but now you're you got 20 games to fit in. Yep. Yep. That's Edition a lot. Of UConn. So. Yeah. yeah, so it's Niagara, Kent State, Ohio State as part of the Gavik tip-off games, and Norfolk State all at home. Then they go to the uh, preseason NIT at the Barclays Center where they'll face two of Memphis, Virginia Tech, and Iowa State. They've got Central Michigan at home. They go at Oklahoma State for the Big East Big 12 battle. Then they're back home for three in a row to finish out the non-conference slate with Ball State, the Crosstown Shootout, and more head state. So, right, I mean, so, so what's a, so what's a legit, what's a legitimate record that they should go Rick two losses at most three at most. I think fans would like to see two. Well, yeah. I mean, they'd like undefeated obviously, but I'd say, well, I'd say obviously. fans are hoping for a reasonable expectation is two losses here. I think, um, I think that's probably because right. That would mean, that would mean you get at least one nice win. 
Yes, correct. Good. You know, you're getting a couple high major wins and one that's probably pretty good. Um, you know, you'd like to get either the Ohio State game or or the, at, at, at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State probably. Right, right. Um, you definitely want to get one of those preseason NIT games. And then you want to win will. the Crosstown shootout this year because you see is going to be at a disadvantage and you're playing it at home. So Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I think I think two losses is 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 a legitimate. You come out of that with two losses and then go, you know, do your 11 and nine ish in the big East. I think you still wind up with a pretty good seed when all said and done. Yeah. You would hope there would be, be, and I, and it could be, and it could be better in the big East. Don't get me wrong, but as we know, we've talked about it before you can go 500 and still have a damn good team. Yeah. I, I think you always kind of start the bidding at 500 in the big East and you slightly adjust from there. Usually depending on what type of team you have, unless your name is Villanova, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you'd see any slip or ups or to Paul or to Paul, see any slip ups in their buy games here. But I think, like yeah, I don't said, either. If you split, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, hopefully, and you split your Barclays games. I At think worst, you feel pretty yes. good about that. And then you Correct. beat UC. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of what you're hoping you. for there. And and it's possible they do better, but uh we'll see what type of start they get off to. They've they've got some new pieces to add in this year. Probably have a couple new starters on this year's team. So we'll talk more about that as we get closer to basketball season, but just a few kind of timely college basketball items that we wanted to get in there and uh, specifically let you know of that UK futures bet if you want to get on that before yeah, Kofi right. Coburn is officially announced <laughs> and it goes down to four to one yeah all right hashtag ask skinny anything you guys sent us the questions I ask them to skinny all right, uh, here we go the first one college or uh, Bengals related actually it's a PFF report has shown that over the last 10 years the Bengals have been the most injured team in football yet I don't hear anything on new team doctors training nutritional ideas or scouting strategies at what point is this more than quote bad luck I, I don't think it is anything more than bad luck. I mean, I, I, I know people want to point a finger here, but William Jackson III was not hurt in college, and then he gets hurt lifting weights. Is that anybody's fault, or is that just freaky? Billy Price got hurt lifting weights. Played all the, Jonah Williams played all through college, got hurt in, in, a, in a drill in, in, in an in a OTA. I, I, I think there's just a lot of bad luck to this thing. Well, John the guys Ruck getting hurt one, lifting, the guys getting hurt lifting weights would raise a little bit of an eyebrow to me. That's maybe, the ones I feel like you could prevent maybe. the ones, the freak injuries on yeah. the field. I feel like are tough to prevent. Yeah. I just, I honestly, I think it, maybe, maybe that is, maybe it is the strength and conditioning thing you have to look at. I'll give you maybe a little bit of that. I don't think it has anything to do with team team doctors deal with stuff after the fact. They're not going right. to diagnose and go, Hey, I think that guy's going to tear his pec today. It sure looks like it up. Oh, he sure did. I told you he was going to No, they're, they're in the, they're in the, the, the healing part of the program. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe there is something to the, to the strength and conditioning stuff, but I also just think it's weird. Look, it's not like they're drafting guys with a rich history of injuries in college. You could look at John Ross and maybe question him and go, boy, I just don't know if that body type's going to hold up in the NFL. And it really didn't, but he also showed that it was a talent related thing as well. He just wasn't very good. All he could do was run. Um, you know, Joe Mixon got hurt as a running running backs get hurt in this league. I mean, that's why rarely do you see a running back play a full 17 game season or, you know, those guys that carry the ball 350 times for five straight years, pretty much are out of the league washed out after year six or year seven, because they've gotten the crap beat out of them. It's a bunch of those Alabama running backs that came out. The teams took, they got the crap beat out of them and weren't, weren't good once they got to the NFL because they got beat up in college. Um, so I think, I, I just think it is. I, Joe Burrow was freaky. A guy rolled up on him. And yes, we can argue that that's an offensive line issue, but it was also a kind of a freaky one. It wasn't like somebody blindsided Joe and he got blown up. He got a guy rolled up on him. There's a 
A lot of people that get rolled up on in the league. Tom Brady suffered a knee injury at one point in his career. Uh, Aaron Rodgers suffered a knee injury at one point. I mean, those guys, you, you, you're going to get hurt playing that quarterback. But that's the one thing that was kind of underrated about Andy Dalton for a long time. That guy answered the bell a whole lot. He got hurt towards the end um, and had the freaky, you know, broken finger in the in the, in the most important game. moment of his right, career. Right, right, no, no question. <laughs> yeah, no question. But for the most part, Andy, Andy answered the bell for a lot of consecutive games, which is unheard of at that position. So I, I think it's a legit question to ask. I just don't think there's a simple enough answer to say, well, it's it's that's the reason why. I don't think it has anything to do with scouting. Like I said Jonah Williams started in college. I mean, never got hurt. That that would what red flag would be raised there that Jonah Williams is suddenly gonna hurt his labrum. Yeah. Well, and the you know, I don't have a list of every injury that happened, nor do I have a good enough memory to remember many of how the plays occurred or whatever, or if they happened. Well, Vontez Murphy got you. hurt. How, how often did Vontez Murphy get a concussion? And yeah. whose fault was that? Laden with his head, right. But I was going to say, I remember we talked about one time last year, a certain player that I was asking, you know, this guy's injury prone. And, and you brought up the point of like, but look at the injuries that happen. They are full-on injuries. There's nothing you could do to stop them. They're kind of freaky things. They're, you know, a broken leg or a thing, things that happen that were clear injuries. And that's kind of the way it is with most of these situations, well, if you let them. It's, yeah, look at, it's not like there was bad coaching or they didn't stretch well enough or they weren't strength trained properly. It's like a guy dislocates his shoulder because he got fell on the wrong way or something like that. It's like, I mean, that's part look, of look at Tyler. Look at Tyler Eifert's career, right? That's look probably at career. who we were talking about. Yeah, look at his career. I mean, the, the injury in Baltimore in 2014 in the first game of the year comes when he stretches out to catch a pass, lands on his elbow, dislocates his elbow. Um Comes back, he does play the 13 games the next year, but gets a stinger. You play tight end occasionally. You play any position, you got a chance to get a stinger. Then obviously he got, you know, suffered the, the broken leg in the, in the Atlanta game. I mean, was that anybody's fault or is that just freaky? I, yeah. I, I think I think sometimes we want an explanation when there is none. I, I, I do appreciate the question because it does feel like it is, you know, a 10-year period is, is not a short sample size. That's a lengthy sample size. But some teams are going to probably lead the league in injuries. And unfortunately, it's the Bengals that happen to be that team. Well, and I think everybody has probably felt this way as a Bengals fan for a long time. It's interesting that Pro Football Focus actually did this report with the data to back it up because it does feel like the Bengals have been snake bit and that they've had bad luck. And this would sort of bear that out, at least with regards to injuries. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, I just don't know if it's as easy as pointing the finger at somebody. And I, it's, yeah, I certainly don't that. think you point the finger at the doctors. The doctors are the ones doing the healing. They're not doing the ones doing the, the prevention. It, now, you can argue, again, that's the strength and conditioning staff. I could argue that. That part's fair. Yeah. I don't think we'll see much of a change in that regard, and I don't know if it's fair to to want one, but it, like you said, it's worth talking about at least. Well, the other thing, too, I would tell you is, is, is you know, coaches, too. Coaches aren't going to want guys hurt. So if the coaches think the strength and conditioning staff aren't doing things that they want done or doing things the right way, what do you think they're going to probably do to that staff? Oh, that that is the quickest people to get shipped out of here sure. and MF'd. I mean, like coaches usually can't stand the doctors. And then if anything bad happens, the training staff, like if anyone gets hurt, yeah, because the doctors are the ones that tell them. Yeah, <laughs> doctors are going, he can't play. Right. Sure. Yeah, so, he can't play. So they always hate the doctors for that reason. But yeah, if anything happens, like a star player gets hurt while lifting or something like that, oh, coaches are so quick to throw the training staff under the bus. They can't stand those guys when things like that happen. No question. So, no question. Right. And I will tell you, all I know is 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 Nick uh, Nick Nick Cosgrave, who's the rehab guy. Um, there's not one player that that I've ever talked to in the last seven years 
who has done rehab with him that has said anything but great things about Nick doing rehab. Not one player. So that tells me that the guy doing the rehabbing, at least, is doing a hell of a job. Well, there you go. He's certainly gotten a lot of practice over the last seven years. As this, uh, well, there's, there's that out. too. Yeah. Uh, this is a movie-related question. I don't know if you've seen all of oh, these boy. movies, but I'll ask you to rank them anyways. They want them from best to worst. Okay. White Shadow, Blue Chips, The Air Up There, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, and Finding <laughs> Forrester. Um, Finding Forrester, I just I, I ran across that the other day. What's that about again? I I, I did so see that. Good. In, like, it's uh, Sean Connery is uh, yes. He played he the, played the kid the, the kid's a piano player or a writer yeah, or something. The writer, yeah, like the underprivileged yeah. youth kid. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not see. I, I ran across. It's, it's so funny you say that. I literally ran across it Great and watched movie. about fifteen minutes of it. Really enjoyed the fifteen minutes I watched. Then it got sidetracked with a phone call or something. And didn't you know it was on. It was on like one of those IFC channels and I didn't get a chance to go back to watch. That's literally the first time I've even seen the, the thing. So I'm going to have to take the, the, the L on that one. Um, Punch so I'll take the your keys, word for it. damn it. That's my Sean Connery, <laughs> if you're wondering. That's yeah, pretty good. That's pretty good, actually. Um, all right. So, so let's run through them again one by one. White Shadow wasn't a movie, was it? I don't they know. They make that I, into a movie? I'll White Shadow it. was a TV show. Like, I, I mean, I remember the White Shadow, the series with Ken Howard. It looks like I love the White it was Shadow. a movie. I don't know if this is the same movie they were talking about, but it says White Shadows, a verite style depiction of Alias, a young albino growing up in the outskirts of an unnamed city in Tanzania. That doesn't sound like the movie they were going for here. What was White Shadow, the TV show? Is that a sports thing? Yeah, yeah, it was about a a, um, a former NBA player who goes into an inner city and coaches a a group of ragtag guys. It was kind of a mix of some white guys, Italians. You talk about every ethnicity. Every ethnicity was on that team and dealing with some of the issues. Um, it was on in the late seventies, yeah. mid, mid to late seventies, maybe into the early eighties. I love the show. I love, I think Ken Howard's a good actor. It was, I just, it was a, it was, it was a fun show. The basketball scenes weren't very good, but it, yeah, I think if that's what they're going for, white shadows up there for me, the fish that saved Pittsburgh. I can't remember if that was doc. If that was, um, I oh, was doc, Dr. J who was in that was Bernard King in that. I got was a couple right of NBA here. players that were in the fish that saved Pittsburgh. IMDB. It looks like, um, Dr. J. Yeah, Dr. J was in it then. That's what I thought. Was it, was it was in Gabe it? Kaplan? Gabe uh, Kaplan? Uh, no, I see I see. Uh, Dr. J, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Marv Albert were all in it. All right, was it, was, who's the female lead in it? Does it show it? Uh, f- the female lead, is it Margaret Avery? Is that who you're talking about? Man, Dr. Maybe, Channing? Maybe. Yeah, if it should say Pittsburgh... Uh, yeah, that's what it was it was Stocker Channing. She was in okay. Greece, so yes, it was Stocker Channing. All right, and what, what what other movies we got? The White Shadow. I'm taking a pass on Finding Forrester, although I, I do want to see it. I, the 15 minutes I watched, it did look like it was fabulous. The Air Up There and Blue Chips. I'm a bit. I love Blue Chips. I, it's so campy, but it just it had such a Bobby Knight feel for it. And I thought they did a pretty good job with the basketball scenes, and I think he kind of nailed Coach in the right way. It was a coach that that you could tell sold out in the end. And, and I, I, I get some of that. I, I thought blue chips was okay. I like blue chips. I'm, I'll probably rank blue chips. One out of that group, white shadow, two fish that saved Pittsburgh, three air up there, four. And then I got to take the pass on finding Forrester. All right. I will give major props to this person for not including Hoosiers in this list. Cause Hoosiers. Sucks. I know it's because just because you hate it. I love Hoosiers, yep. but yes. All right. Uh, next question. This guy says, enjoyed your NIL conversation. With regards to the social media deals, do you think it's better to be someone like Chris Olave, uh, 
the Ohio State wide receiver, where he says, big star on big stage with smaller following or the Cavender twins, which are the uh, two twins from Fresno State that signed a couple deals as soon as it went legal that they were allowed to do NIL deals, where he says, huge social media following on a smaller stage. Who would you rather be? Who would you rather sign to an endorsement deal? Seeing as how I don't know who the Cavender twins are, and I know who Chris Olave is, and yeah, I know I'm in Ohio, and that helps, and certainly we, we know Ohio State. I think I'd rather be Chris Olave. So the Cavender twins, they so, signed. So, and Chris Olave can actually, he'll, he'll be an NFL player too. So he's, he, I mean, he's, he's probably got some cachet there with some endorsement stuff ahead of time. So I'm going Chris Olave. Yeah, give me the Cavender. I don't even know who the hell they are. Yeah, the Cavender twins are a pair of twins that play for Fresno State. One of them was all conference. Um, the other, or both of them were all conference. The one was player of the year in their conference, I think. Is so they are, right? they are legitimately good, but they play for Fresno State's women's team. Um, and they have over 3 million followers on TikTok. They've got uh, maybe 250,000 or so on like Instagram and like 100,000 yeah, on YouTube and stuff that, like that. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty good place to be. But the over 3 million on TikTok is where they're making their money. That's why they got a deal with Boost Mobile. That's why they were on the, uh, the big uh, signs in, in Times Square in New York City the night that it all went legal and everything. Like they're... At, 1201 they were taking pictures in times square with their face up on the the signs up there you know the led screens and announcing deals with boost mobile and other contracts so they're probably the the two who have been the biggest benefactors of the uh the the nil deals so far um but i think along 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 that vein it's probably better to be them (laughs) i mean so I think the interesting question is that last part. Who would you rather be? Who would you rather sign to an endorsement deal? I think I would, if we're talking about like right now, this month, I'd rather be them because we know in marketing and, and how this works now, where we've gotten to in the stage of internet and making money off of it, that X amount of followers equals X amount of dollars. If you've right. got 3 million followers on, it, on an app, you can get some type of you know brand deal or whatever to endorse in your next TikTok video that will equal tens of thousands of dollars probably in their case. So that is, you already know how that market works. For Chris Olave, he has, I think, a lot of value being a guy who's going to be, like you said, a top five draft pick probably next year, definitely top 10. A guy who's going to be on one of the biggest football teams that's going to play in the college football playoff this year, more than likely. And um, a guy who's a big big name. I mean, he's going to be huge in college football in general and, and rack up tons of stats and have a good year. So there, there's a ton of value there and long-term value because if you get him early, he's going to blow up and, and be an NFL guy down the road. It's going to be way more expensive down the road probably to get him. I think there's a lot of value. It, but if I'm Chris Olave today, I don't know if with his – I think he had like – I checked he had like 125000 on Instagram, which is pretty good for most college athletes. That's, that's the benefit of going to Ohio State. He's, he is kind of a household name. I don't know exactly what that market equates to, like – how much does well, he get for an Instagram post at 125,000, right. you know, but, but he would probably get more mainstream money though. Right. And the, the, I don't know if you saw, I think it was a Miami of Florida booster who said he's more than willing to pay like $5 million to, to get players. And I guess in theory, you can do that now because if you own the car dealership and you want to spend your money, however you want to spend it, there's going to be some probably Ohio state booster. Who's going to say, I'm going to sign Chris Olave to sponsor my business and I'm going to pay him six figures to do it, whatever the number is. And, and so maybe he gets better mainstream money than the Cavender twins get. Does it equate to, to what they make? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. 
Yeah. Again, I would rather probably be the Cavender Twins this month. I don't know what that'll look like when we get closer to the season as more of this stuff gets figured out and you know, people probably figure out how to work with Chris Olave and find a deal that makes sense for him. But if I was trying to sign one of them to a deal, it would definitely be Chris Olave because I think you could get a really good deal on a guy like him right now. If there can be a more nondescript program in college sports, it, it could possibly be the Fresno State women's basketball team. Oh, yeah. Like they were saying, the girls, just based off their following, if they do kind of average deals that you would expect, like just typical internet brand deals, they should make upwards of like 600000 this year. And like their, said, coach, them, man. their coach makes about four hundred. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So that is going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, yes, the whole NIL deal, we saw Percy Miller, Master P's son, has signed the biggest deal by far. He got a $2 million deal from some company uh, that it's like a upstart web company. I don't even remember what they were called. That's one that's fascinating because this that, is a dude that's going to the, Tennessee state. Right. Here's the funny part to some of this too is, so now you're starting to make more money than your coaches, which is fine. Again, have at it. So at what point do you just tell the coach, you know what? I don't need you any longer. I, I quit. I'll go somewhere else or just quit in general. Or the flip side of that is, do they actually need though to keep playing wherever they're playing just to keep the profile? Which I guess is a chicken and egg thing. Do you have the profile because you're a player with a name in this case, masterpiece son, or does the, does the, does the, does the fact that you don't need to be playing for team a and you still have the profile. It's kind of a weird gray area for me. Not, not in a bad way. It's just one of those ones where I, I'm just trying to figure out at what point do the player hold more cards. And I guess maybe they do now in this landscape of the transfer portal. Of if you don't like it, you just pick up and move on. So maybe it becomes a moot point, but it just sounds odd to me that he's making $2 million playing at Tennessee state. But I wonder if their whole coaching staff combined makes $2 million. Well, and it, that's probably a situation where it's, it's more tenable because he's clearly going to be your best player. You got him by catering to his needs and saying you and your dad are basically going to run our program. That's how you got a guy like that who has had offers from legit high major schools. Where, I mean, but two million. But I think that's a deal with with Hershey Miller, where it's like I think they knew budget, they, their budget isn't even two million dollars. Probably, probably not. I think this this web company though realized they're going to get his dad. His dad's so involved with everything. Sure, they're absolutely. releasing press conferences every time something happens with Tennessee State's team Master P is there with his son doing a press conference can you imagine this is hey hey uh, uh young Percy this is coach Collins um you know we could uh we could really use some meal money on this trip uh, you mind loaning us a little bit hey well, uh we'd like to take we'd like to take a really nice bus on this next trip you think you could float us you, you know he's actually already said they've already said they're trying to work with other companies in the Nashville area and in Tennessee to find ways to get more players on the team money and to fund the, the program better. So that that's part of it. I mean, that is something they are trying to do now. Is there any market for any of those other guys? No. And are any of these companies just willingly going to give money to these not. other guys? Probably not. The one interesting part is it's a historically black college. Uh, so they, you know, there's HBCU. There's a lot of groundswell about supporting them more. That's part of why Hersey Miller said he's going there. So maybe some companies will be interested initially doing that but that's the other side of this everyone keeps talking about well we've just legalized cheating and all these companies now are going to pay for these players to go to different schools to an extent yeah that that had that has always happened and it will continue to happen but it's not going to be at some crazy level that wasn't happening before and i'll tell you why because well, guys, there's only so much money and there's only so much money to go around. i mean in, in lexington how many major donors can 
spread out a bunch of dollars, some, but it's not like everybody in Lexington's got millions of dollars laying around. Well, and the interesting thing about people who have millions of dollars is they're usually got that way by being pretty ruthless and being pretty smart with their money. They don't usually like to make a ton of bad investments. Now, some of them, don't get me wrong, there are your Nevin Shapiros who have tons of money and the only thing they want to do is just be cool. Well, he had money through a Ponzi scheme. Right, but they but they have it and they want to feel like they're cool and be around the, the team that they support and that's what they're going to do, right? Like there will be guys like that 100% no who just no want to, they already do it though. They're already cheating and operating in the gray areas of the sport anyway. So I don't know that there's going to be a crazy new, like we'll see, but I don't know that there's going to be some donor that Xavier who just is able to now bankroll Xavier's recruits because through NIL. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. And for one, we'll be interested to see how it works because go ahead. Sorry. The farm, the, the, no, the farmer family. Oh, wait a minute. They already have their name on the building. Sorry. (laughs) Well, and the, the other thing is in the rules for some of these States and the NCAA's NIL rules, that's not supposed to be donor money. It's not supposed to be coming from actual boosters. So if it's someone like, you know, home city ice or Cintas, one of these families, they aren't technically supposed to be doing this based on what I've read. So we'll see how that all plays out. Cause you would imagine right. your biggest, like at, at UK, you would imagine the Texas roadhouse people are going to be one of the people that would like to give the kids money to support Texas roadhouse or do an ad for Texas. I, th- roadhouse. I, th- I, th- I thought it was the Outback guy. I thought Chris Sullivan was a guy. Well, you got the Texas roadhouse countdown tip off, right? Well, that's a good, that's a good point. I was thinking though, Chris Sullivan's a, is, owns the Outbacks and he's a big Kentucky donor. So, well, he might be, but I know the you Texas got, you, Roadhouse you, you, guy you, is a big donor too. And it's like, yeah, you do have I, a lot of horse farms too, that, 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 that can, that have always been able to pay. Sure. But the, those guys are all actual boosters and no, that's right. That's, that's right. the way they've that's written right. this stuff is boosters no, right. that are donating to your school should not be doing NIL deals. Will that actually come to fruition? And how will they stop them from doing that? I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. I think it's going to be hard to, to keep those people from doing that. I do but, too. I agree but you know, the you. schools will want to because they want to keep the money coming into them. They don't want to lose all their donor money. That's right. No, that's right. You're right. So it's there's a lot there. I could do two podcasts just about NIL and all the stuff I've, I've read and listened to the past week. But basically, a lot of the answers to a lot of these questions that I've been asked is no one really knows yet. Even talking yeah. to schools, they don't know the answer. The NCLA just said, we're, we don't know. We're tired of getting sued. Hands off. You figure yeah, it out. You guys, have, yeah, we'll figure it out as we go. And yeah. then we'll try to find, we'll try to, we'll try to uh, uh, investigate you down the road. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, if you had the power to ban all food posts on social media, would you elect to keep food posts or get rid of them for good? They, they, the thing is, they don't influence me. The one right now is that, that the dude with the Ameristop ice cream which I've actually had before. It is, it is delicious. The Bellevue Ameristop. Oh, we're all in on that. Yeah. I think I'd ban all food posts. I mean, I got by without food posts for a good chunk of my life where I could pick a restaurant because I've, you know, through advertising, word of mouth, whatever. And then you go and you either like it and you go, I I don't need food posts. I'm I'm kind of anti, I I mean, I guess I'm not anti I'm indifferent, but yeah, if I, if I had a choice, I'd ban all food posts. (laughs) This is a good question. Uh, the ones I, the ones I don't, I hate going to Instagram and somebody just putting a big plate of food going, here's what I'm having for dinner tonight. I don't give a damn. I don't care. I just don't. I'm sorry. I don't. Uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a really, this, was, this is going to be delicious. I'm sure it will be. I don't need to know that. No one else needs to know that. Go eat it. 
go crap it out the next day. It's next day's waste anyway. Have a good time. You should start taking pictures of your craps the next day and be like, dinner was <laughs> exactly. awesome last hey, night. Double check. Here's the lobster roll from last night. I pooped above <laughs> the water line. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I would. I would actually follow those posts from you. Maybe for one of them <laughs> until I banned you. Um, Speaking but, of which, if, if I hate to sidetrack it. Have you seen the, the 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 thing that the CDC has now done about uh, making sure your kids don't crap in the pool this summer where the kid coming down the slide shows a, a, a brown streak before they go into the pool? No. Have you seen this? Oh. I swear to God, uh, it, it is the damnedest thing ever. I, I saw it. I think I think our newscast had it the other morning and I couldn't stop laughing. I could not stop laughing. Diarrhea and swimming. This has to be. That's it. it. That's it. That's it. It's got to oh be. Oh my it. god! Yeah, yeah. That is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that poor. It's a cartoon girl, but still, it's that a cartoon, poor cartoon yeah, girl. I know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't leave your mark at the pool this summer. That's what. And that's what girl, it was. That's the. Line. It's an animated cartoon girl coming down the slide with just a giant brown streak coming out her. Yes. Backside. I mean, c- come on, as a parent, be a little more responsible. If your kid crapped their pants, you let them go swim. Go wipe their ass, put a new swimsuit on them and move on. Or honestly, send them home. It, Can't go in the pool today, Jimmy. You just crapped your pants. It, okay, mom. Only I'm sorry. takes I'll try one person with diarrhea time. to contaminate the entire pool. <laughs> to, to ruin your whole summer. <laughs> I'm really glad you uh, let me know. And I will say, and I did see somebody that tweeted out said, this is what your taxpayer dollars have gone to. And, and some of it's right. I mean, this is so commonsensical. Do we really need somebody spend? We don't need the government spending money to tell us not to have your kid crap it in a pool. I mean, honestly, do we really need that? Do we not have enough common sense to, to, as parents to not allow that to happen? So, you know, what's amazing. I just looked at the comments, which usually you should never do. But in this case, you have no, of to. Of course not. Of course not. And yes. somebody said they didn't say we couldn't pee in the pool to which someone point. responded and said, ah, contraire. And they have another graphic they made with little Jimmy in there with his goggles on. And all of a sudden, a big yellow urine pile surrounds him in the middle of the pool. They, <laughs> Pee mixed with chlorine creates chemicals that can make your eyes red and itchy. The CDC came prepared this summer. Oh, not piss in their pool. Do not crap in their pool. Just Ugh. let's have a good, clean summer. All right. I will. I will say I've never peed in a pool, but there's nothing better than peeing in the ocean. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I people are not going to believe me because I know everybody does this. I got made fun of last weekend for for going to the bathroom while I was at the pool, but I do not pee in my swimsuit i just to me i can't get over the fact that oh I'm no 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 i don't know I, I don't either. no in the ocean dude you just you, yeah you, you just whip it out a, okay good right, for correct you. yeah you just get into a good spot yeah not in the swimsuit no chance of that yeah i i just i i can't believe people just grown men just sit there like no i was yeah, at the yeah, pool yeah, we're all uh, drinking yeah. beers i get up to pee and they're like what are you doing i'm like going to the bathroom I'm like why'd you get out of the pool i'm like wait have you guys just been peeing on me the whole time like yeah we're I, yeah what the hell can't have that no you can't have that i'm not a pee in the pool guy no, nah, I'm and with neither, you. The CDC doesn't think you should be either. Yeah. So I didn't mean to sidetrack you, but I just thought no, I, I had to bring that up. So, so go back to this. Que- go back to this question again. What was it the was, question? In no, hand? it was just banning a uh, food post, which. Oh, I, yes, that's right. That's is right. actually a good question. I hadn't really ever thought of. And I don't know which side I'm on. Like the uh, I, the one thing I actually that drives me crazy. I don't really mind when people post their food. I, I do think it is kind of funny, but it doesn't bother me at all. Um, what because I like I'll post a, the Braxton beer picture every time I'm there. Like I I do that and I know people get pissed off about that. And I kind of like that they get pissed off about it. So I do it more. Um, the, the, the videos that drive me nuts on social media are the recipes. 
every damn thing now is like a new oh, way to it, make a yeah, recipe. Yeah, the, it's like, I yeah. stop. I don't need 750 different ways to make a grilled cheese. I'm good. Yeah, or, or, or the ones, yeah, the, the little pizza. Here's some mini pizza rolls. You know what I can do? I can go to the store and buy a, buy a th- bag of those. They're called Tostino's pizza rolls. I don't need to see you make them yourself. I'm not going to waste my time making my own pizza rolls. It only took 35 minutes and I had to ruin my iron because I cooked them right. with an iron. But correct. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, uh, yeah but I, yeah, I don't know that I would. I I do like some food social media posts, like the Chat Down Cincinnati group that has the Ameristop ice cream guy. That that group is great. I follow it all the time for uh, food recommendations. So I don't know if I'd want to eliminate them totally. That's that's a tough yeah, question. Right again, there. again, yeah, it was it was a choice though, right? So you made me make a choice. I made yeah. my choice. I'll I drew my line in the thing. sand. All I right. drew my line of demarcation. You really did. All right, Huddersfield forward. Huddersfield is an English soccer team, by the way. That's apparently oh, not okay. the best sure. league. Yeah, Huddersfield forward Kenny Edwards has been banned for 10 matches for, listen to this part, putting his finger up the bottom of an opponent. I think I saw that. I read this. Yes. Skinny, do you find 10 matches to be an appropriate punishment for sticking your finger up the bottom of your opponent? Depends on how long he left it there. I think you, I think honestly, I think you suspend him 10 games for every second he left the finger there. I mean, that's a little much, dude. What I mean, what do we, what, what, what it, it had to be accidental. Correct. I would hope. I, I definitely don't think it was. I think that's why he is, uh, he is being banned, man. You talk about getting suspended. under an opponent's skin you're getting into the private part. I, I did the, the guy turn around. If I was the guy, I go, what are you doing? And turn around and slug him or, Hey buddy, you don't know me quite that well. Or maybe he was making a pass at the guy for all I know. So uh, I, I think I said this guy was a soccer guy. He is not. It's not soccer. It's um, rugby. Sorry, rugby. Yeah, but there's a lot English. of stuff. Yeah, but dude, those rugby, those rugby scrums. God They're knows dirty. what goes underneath those pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. You know what though? In this case, so much crap goes on. I. I mean, I don't know. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna say an uh, probably an unpopular opinion here. I'd rather have my butt probed than someone junk punch me in a sport. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. And, and I think there's probably a lot of junk punching that goes on in the bottle of rugby scrums. Oh, right? we see it in basketball all the time. I don't know why oh, yeah. guys think it's so okay to just haul off and punch each other in the nuts, but they do it a lot. No, they, they do. Yeah. I mean, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to fight around some screens and um, you know, I can't get loose of a guy. Give the him a Grayson quick one. Allen. In the, yeah. You just a quick one right there and good way to free yourself for an open jumper. In my opinion. Yeah, man. That's that's a little much though. I'm out on the finger probing though. I don't. I don't. I, I think. That's, I think that's ten fair. games is is probably not even Apple quite p- enough. Yeah, I'd probably go okay. a little bit more. As I said, maybe you count the seconds. Ten games for every second he was in there. I'm good with that. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I you've got to really break that down frame or, by frame. I don't know who's in charge of that. Or you charge him with sexual assault. That might be an option. There I mean, I go. think that's probably qualifies. Yeah. Probably, probably does. If, if you're inside of me, I think it's it's fair to call it it's, sexual assault. That's a pretty good point. Yeah. And I didn't invite it. Yeah. Little little thing called consent there, rugby guys. Yeah, that, that's correct. Yes, exactly. Maybe learn exactly. about it. Uh, is that it? Yeah, that's, a good that's one to end on. If that's the case. That's a good one to end on, for goodness sakes. All right. Appreciate everybody for listening. We'll be back next week for Rick Roaring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly with Edition. Edition.